Amongst the fervor of debates, international agreements and geopolitics that surrounds the race to decarbonization, it's a rarely acknowledged fact that at this moment in time, our global energy demands cannot be catered for by renewables alone. The outcomes of COP26 have demonstrated that the global commitment to decarbonization has never been stronger. But achieving the necessary climate objectives set out by the summit requires a multitude of complex and integrated solutions that can provide both a green and reliable source of energy. The uncomfortable reality is nuclear energy, a reliable and scalable technology that has the capacity to provide all of humanity's clean energy needs, is being overlooked as a vital component of this solution. So, as we focus on meeting the carbon reduction objectives for our planet, could a revival of nuclear technology pave the way for the much-needed rapid decarbonization of our energy sector? Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today, we speak with Alistair Evans, Government and Corporate Affairs Director for SMRs at Rolls-Royce, one of the major players focused on building the next generation of nuclear technology. Welcome, Alistair. Pleasure to be here. I wonder if you could um, jump straight into it and uh, let's talk about what is a small modular reactor or SMR. Essentially, a nuclear power station is a large kettle. Uh, it produces steam, which turns a turbine, which produces energy and electricity in this case. So an SMR is about the size of two football pitches, and it's a small nuclear power station. And what it would do is provide power for about a million homes um, in an affordable way. So there are some really uh, challenging carbon reduction targets, not just for the UK, but but globally. So uh, there's going to have to be a tremendous shift in the way that we heat our homes, in the way that we keep the lights on, the way that we travel. So um, I believe strongly that we need nuclear power to be part of that mix, and we need nuclear to enable net zero. So SMRs can provide uh, stable, uh, long-term generation of power. So they're on 24-7, 365 days a year. So they provide that firm power. So uh, there are no uh, capacity issues with them being sort of flexing on and off. Um, they're on for roughly 95% of the, the time. So you've got that constant baseload, which is uh, particularly important for the UK as we look to significantly electrify huge areas um, of our economy um, and the way that we lead our lives. So the key word here is small. So how small is an SMR in comparison with a standard reactor? It's, it's about, a, about a tenth the size of one of the big ones. So if you think about two football pitches is essentially uh, one reactor. And from that very small footprint of two football pitches, you can power a million homes for 60 years. 
So the, the big difference for us is how we build that power station. So what you'd normally do with a nuclear uh, project is you turn up in your, in your field and you do what's called a stick build. So components come to site and they're sort of bolted together and put together and pieced together uh, in the elements uh, in, uh, in a field. So we're trying to deliver it in a totally different way. So it's a totally factory built product. So 90% of our power station we built in factory conditions. So you, you create modules, you create these large modules that sit on the back of a truck and they're brought to site and they're assembled at site. So you're trying to take out a lot of the challenges that we've had in the nuclear sector with, with building the power stations. So everything move, moves to being modular, modular assembly rather than some of these challenging construction um, projects that we've had in the past. The, the nuclear element or the nuclear part of a of an SMR is only a very small central part of um, of the reactor island. Everything else that goes around it, uh, it you, you might see similarly in, in in a gas turbine or you know another energy generating um, infrastructure. So what we're doing is is modularizing it in the same way that people have modularized homes. Amazing. So so what are what what are the real clear advantages of this system over other forms of energy and, and why why is this a clean source of energy so we've got to totally revolutionize the way that we get our power um in the uk and in europe so the uk's done a tremendous amount to, to decarbonize to, to take fossil fuels off our grid so coal is pretty much totally gone but only a few, uh, only last month, we had gas prices spiking at three, four, five, six hundred pounds and more. So that's because we're dependent on, uh, to, to a greater and increasing degree, imported fossil fuels. So we need to try and move away from fossil fuels entirely um, as quickly as we can. And nuclear and renewables uh, have got to step in and step up uh, and play a key role in, in us achieving that. So, so why nuclear? Why SMRs? It's because they're a firm power source, so they're on all the time. Uh, and it, as I say, it provides power for 60 years. So you've got continuous generation. So uh, that, for me, is really important. But we also need to have renewables coming forward, offshore wind, onshore wind, solar. And there's a lot of talk about hydrogen. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting topic, hydrogen, because people think it's something that you dig out of the ground or, you know, it's something that's naturally occurring. It's not. You've got to produce it. And it's an energy-intensive process that produces hydrogen. So uh, we can see a way to producing hydrogen with, with nuclear. So it will be a, you know, a green form of hydrogen. Same with the way that we fly. So uh, it's, a, it's a very energy-intensive process to produce uh, synthetic aviation fuel. Uh, but if we want to be flying in a decarbonized way, we need to start using synthetic aviation fuel. So nuclear SMRs with their you know, energy density can produce SAF um, uh, in the future. Same with data centers. You know, we're, we're seeing things like Bitcoin mining uh, becoming prevalent, uh, really energy intensive processes. If those were hooked up to a nuclear power station as opposed to a coal station, you know, your decarbonization is, is significant. So we've got a really big challenge to hit our net zero targets. Nuclear's got to be part of that mix alongside uh, renewables, and we've all got we've all got to step up and deliver uh, in the years ahead. Great. Um, just back to this comparison between the, you know, a mainstream nuclear. So a tenth of the size does that does that typically mean a tenth 
of the power output? So our, our power station will be about 470 megawatts. And that doesn't mean a lot to many people for obvious reasons, but 470 megawatts is about a million homes. A, a large-scale project is probably about 3,000, 3,200 or so megawatts. So that, that is about 7% of the UK's electricity grid. So there is there is a differential there in in the output, uh, but what we would look to do is to build um, a number of SMRs um, at different sites, um, so that you're you're de-risking each time you build, your costs come down each time you build, and the cost for the each SMR is in the region of about two billion pounds, which again sounds like a lot, but when you Average that over your 60 years of power production, you're at the sort of 50 to 60 pounds a megawatt hour of price, which is half the cost of the proposed existing large-scale projects. So how many of these facilities do you foresee being built in the UK and abroad? Yeah, so we've, we've talked about delivering 16 in the UK as a starting point. So 16 is um, a, a rough sort of approximation of the nuclear power that's coming off the grid now. So if we were to build 16 uh, SMRs that that equates to what we have on the grid that is being switched off now, but we obviously want to go further than sixteen in the UK. We think you know, as I say, we've got synthetic aviation fuel opportunities. We've got energy intensive users. Uh, we've got green hydrogen, and then if you look at countries, let's just look at the EU. You've got countries like um, Poland, the Czech Republic, uh, who are uh, investigating uh, nuclear as as a way to decarbonize. Uh, Poland's got sort of, an, I think I think I checked this morning, about 80% of its electricity was coming from coal. So they've got a really big decarbonisation challenge, and they're looking to nuclear as a way to help them solve that. Uh, same with the Czech Republic. They've got decarbonisation challenges, same with Turkey. Um, and, and for me, it's about how do we move at pace? So how do we get these on the grid as quickly as possible? So that opens up countries like the Netherlands. So the Netherlands is somewhere that's relying on imported gas for, to a great degree. Um, but it's got a nuclear power station. It's got a nuclear regulator. It's got a supply chain. Um, there isn't that political will to do it. So if you could see that political will change and the positive public sentiment for decarbonisation through nuclear, then that's somewhere you could move really quickly because you've got a lot of the the key tenants you need for nuclear in place, the regulator, the supply chain, um, already there. So there's a huge number of markets. I mean, I always like to highlight France. France has some of the cheapest electricity bills in Europe, and it's got the, the lowest carbon power uh, largely in Europe because it's 75-80% um, nuclear. So France is somewhere that uh, built power stations as a fleet and that's the approach we're looking to take uh, with building as a fleet, building a sustainable, low-carbon pipeline um, of power stations to enable decarbonisation in the UK. How do you keep a larger fleet of systems secure from external threats such as terrorism, sabotage and other risks? So, so we'd only ever build in countries that we could, A, receive an export licence to build in, and countries that... Um, are members of the International Atomic Energy Association, the IAEA, a highly respected um, group who, who monitor, regulate. Um, uh, so we always work with those uh, with those two premises. Uh, and in the UK, we've got, again, we've got independent regulator, the Office for Nuclear Regulation. So they have a key role in ensuring that the safety and security that we put in place meets the incredibly high standards that are required. 
there, there's a civil nuclear constabulary. So there, there's a police force um, already in the UK who who patrol uh, nuclear sites, the civil nuclear constabulary at, at a range of the sites in the UK. So there are very high security requirements. Um, we would probably look to build uh, a number of units at a site. So you'd have you know three, four, five units clustered uh, in one location. Um, so that reduces the sort of costs around security. But again, these are such long-term investments. The costs for the for the security side of things is is is, is extremely small in the grand scheme of the project. Now, the second thing that nuclear is often criticised for is its waste. Is this a different type of nuclear? Are there still the same issues? I think it's a, it's a great question, and it's and it's something that the, there's this sort of uh, of general concern about, and we've got to be accountable as an industry to explain clearly what happens around waste. So, when you produce uh, energy, it it has impacts, and with nuclear, that is um, some higher activity radioactive uh, waste. Now, that is has been safely stored in the UK for uh, for decades at numerous sites through the production of nuclear power. So if fossil fuels had taken account of their externalities in the same way and been responsible um, citizens, we wouldn't have the need for COP because we wouldn't be spewing CO2 into the atmosphere. So we safely take account of the impacts of the production of our uh, electricity. The, The waste is stored safely at sites and would eventually be transferred to uh, a geological disposal facility. There's also a number of companies uh, out there looking at ways to reprocess um, the waste. So you put it back in, you put it back through the process um, through uh, to, to produce further heat, um, steam and electricity. So closing that fuel cycle is a really interesting um, model that's being developed by by some companies and we're watching it very closely what we're proposing to do is to use a standard pressurized water reactor a pwr so standard pwr and standard pwr fuel that means that uh, we're, we're essentially building a known quantity so that's the type of fuel that's been produced uh, in the uk for decades it's made at at Springfields um, in, Lan- in Lancashire, uh, and we know how to manage it. We know how to manage it safely. We know how to manage it securely, and it's something that the industry is extremely good at. And I think it's really important to say that we take total accountability for our externalities uh, and are responsible for that. And how long would this waste be hazardous? It's it's, it's worth bearing in mind the sort of the, the context. If you were to have your entire life run on everything you used um, for the rest of your life on nuclear power, you would produce enough waste to sit in a single can of Coke. So context, an SMR that runs for 60 years uh, is the equivalent of one swimming pool of waste. So that's 60 years of power. It's a tremendous amount of power. It's worth putting into context that, as I say, your sole use, if you've used nothing but nuclear is one can of coke so yes there are consequences to it but it's worth putting it into context and it's also worth again repeating that there's a huge amount of work looking at closing that fuel cycle and by closing that fuel cycle i mean how do you reuse that waste 
Um, and, and we obviously, there are different types of waste. There's the there's the radioactive waste that comes from hospitals uh, for when we have x-rays, and it's, you get very similar types of low-level waste at power stations. And you've got, and then you've got the other extreme, you've got the higher activity waste, which is the spent fuel. And the spent fuel is the piece that we're looking at how to reuse, um, how to reuse that or, or whether it goes to a geological disposal facility, which is essentially a deep, uh, a deep store in the ground. Could there be a market for an even smaller reactor? Is there anything like that being developed right now? Yeah, so, so SMRs cover a really wide range from 5 megawatts all the way up to the Rolls-Royce SMR, about 470 megawatts. So it's a, it's a very broad spectrum, and there's a range of companies uh, looking at them. So you've got Bill Gates's team in the US are, are, um, are developing um, a, a smaller unit. You've got GE Hitachi and New Scale again in the US looking at uh, I think around 300 megawatts, so that there's a range of sizes being looked at and considered, and it's about finding what the right fit is for uh, for the for the country you're looking to develop in. So we 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 arrived at 470 megawatts because that is the largest size uh, we can hit for power, um, whilst being able to always transport the components on a truck. Uh-huh. If you go any bigger, if you go any bigger than that, you're then having to sort of start using railways or ports, and it gets a lot more complicated, and a lot more difficult. So, we arrived at that size, as I say, because we wanted to keep it so it's road transportable. We don't have to. We don't want to start building new infrastructure to enable energy um, production. So, you're trying to keep it to keep it to a minimum. So, that much smaller reactor you're talking about potentially. Mm. So, Rolls Royce have been building nuclear submarine reactors for 50 years or so, which are obviously very, very small because they sit in a submarine. So this is a, a very different uh, different reactor uh, entirely. But the, the, the choices we're making are about how do we provide maximum energy production um, whilst still being able to transport everything by road. And we think this is the best solution to, to deliver. So we've had nuclear technology for a long time. Why is it the right time now for SMRs? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the simple answer to why now is because we've got the biggest decarbonisation challenge we've ever faced. And I think the reason that SMRs have become um, so important to countries looking to decarbonise uh, is that we need to do it at pace and we need to learn the lessons from some of the challenges we've had in delivering the large power stations so the large power stations have have often struggled with um, construction challenges, and we're looking to try and drive all those construction challenges out of the way that we deliver and the way that SMRs are delivered for us is is totally modular. So again, you're reducing the the risk, um, you're making them investable, you're making them global and scalable, and you're making them low cost. So trying to address all those four key points, I think, is why SMRs have come to the fore now. So if I wanted to commission an SMR right now, what's the turnaround time for it to be fully operational? So the, the short answer is it's probably about 10 years from an order and a commissioning to first power. The challenge that we've got is what we have to do is build the factories that produce the components and the modules. Once you've got those factories built, then you're able to churn two whole units 
of that production line every year. So that's about a gigawatt coming out of a production line every year that you can then go and build. But it takes you five, six, seven years to get that infrastructure in place. So you're set up to deliver as a production line. We've also got to go through a regulatory process. So we can't just decide to build this. It has to be reviewed by the regulator. And that takes four or five years to go through that regulatory process. But what you would normally do in a nuclear project is you would you'd spend five years doing regulation, then you'd spend three years doing planning, then you'd spend about two years doing negotiations with the government over how you pay for it. So we're we're looking to challenge that series model and say, with SMRs, what can we do in parallel? So while we're doing our regulatory process of five years, can we get the land issue sorted? Can we get the funding issues sorted and do it all in parallel so that it means that we can start building our factories, uh, start employing people, start regenerating the supply chain so that we're ready to go and we can get first power in the early 2030s? So it's such a long planning process and I mean maybe naive question but is this even too late? So we're targeting the the sixth carbon budget which is the 2033 to 36 period uh, and we think that once we've got our footprint established it, you know it takes 10 years from first order to first unit but by 15 years you've got five gigawatts built and five gigawatts is is pretty transformational. And then every five years, you've got at least another five, six, seven, eight gigawatts being produced. So it does take a long time. Nuclear is a, is a slow game, but we're trying to challenge that and we're trying to look at ways to move faster wherever we can. The coming five to 10 years are the real challenge for, for the world to think about how it enables decarbonisation. Um, and we think that SMRs have to be part of that mix. What are the other best uses of nuclear SMR technology? It would be able to plug into the grid and it will enable power to be provided to the grid 24-7, 365 days a year. And that's the base case. So the first 16 units or so, you would, you would target at, at grid electricity production to ensure that you're driving off coal, gas from the grid. So that's your, that's your starting point is electricity. And then in addition to that, you've got opportunities for, as I say, hydrogen, uh, energy intensive users or synthetic aviation fuel, things like that. So it can it can load follow. So you know, load following is the, the way in which that the, the the grid balances the system so that there's sufficient usage for the power that's being generated. But we think actually a more efficient use of SMR uh, running time is for them to be running at, as base load. You know we're going to probably treble our electricity demand in the years ahead. So you're going to need a huge amount of capacity coming forward. So. SMRs can play that base load role uh, in the years ahead. Do you see this as a, a permanent fix? You know, is, are there other technologies out there that could play a role? Nuclear fusion, for example? Yeah, so, so there's always um, new technologies being developed. And I think f- fusion is one that, I mean, I've been working in energy policy for 10 or 15 years and and, I, and the, the sort of the pace that's coming into fusion now, it, it seems transformative. So it does feel like that that's moving in a really positive way. But what you can't do is to always put off investment decisions and to delay. So I think the, the, the government themselves said that they'd, uh, they'd lost the last 10 years in nuclear because decisions hadn't been made to, to enable it to come forward. So I take the view that you've got to build what's in front of you to make sure that we've got decarbonisation coming forward and we've got steps being taken. And it does take a long time. I mean, if you look at 
offshore wind, for example, it's gone from a sort of nascent industry to you know the UK being a world leader. So we've got to take some of that approach to in, into SMRs and start delivering. And it'll be providing power, as I say, in the early 2030s, which won't be that far away. Blink and it'll be 10 years later. So we've got to make investment decisions now that will play a key role in, in decarbonizing the 2030s. What are the barriers to this happening? What are the barriers to, to this technology actually being able to be widely implemented? So I think that I've never seen more political support for delivering new nuclear. I've never seen more political support, particularly for delivering a UK solution and, and SMRs. So I think we've got that political will to do it. We've got the challenge now to go out and make it real. So 10 years, when you talk about 10 years before first power, that, that's a real challenge to bring people along and to explain actually why it takes um, such an upfront effort, but has got long-term, huge capacity uh, provide, provision at the end of it. So we've got to bring politicians and the public on that journey with us. And I think what we're looking to do is move at pace. So how do we move faster than a large-scale project would? And how do we take challenges out? How do we work with, with government, with the regulator, with civil society to, to make the case for nuclear and, and to move at pace? So there will be challenges. Nuclear projects have faced many challenges in the past, particularly in the, the large-scale uh, uh, projects. But we're trying to design as much of those challenges out uh, we've just secured UK government support through a grant fund. Uh, we've secured external investors coming in. So we've got investors who see the value of the proposition and are willing to invest their capital in seeing this delivered. So yes, there will be challenges, but I think we've got the the will and the desire to, to contribute to UK and overseas decarbonisation and we'll make it happen. Thanks, Alistair, for joining us here today. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.